Hello, and welcome to Tour Guide Tales, brought to you by Visit Scotland. I'm Grant Stock, and each week I'll be speaking to different tour guides to hear the eclectic and often incredible rich history of Scotland through their knowledge, stories, and also their experiences that they recount on their tours. Today, I'll be speaking to Emma Chalmers and Anne Daly. Their Mary's Meanders tour takes fans of the hit TV show Outlander to some of the show's most iconic locations. Along the way, the tour not only lets you take some much-prized selfies, but you'll also hear the real Scottish history and amazing stories connected to these locations. It's worth noting that this episode was recorded from our homes during lockdown. Anyway, enough from me. Let's hear the tour guide tales of Mary's Meanders. Emma and Anne, let's start. Um, tell us how this all began. Were you friends at the outset? Was it Outlander that brought you together? What, what started Mary's Meanders? Um, yeah, no, no. We It is uh, definitely Outlander and Mary's Meanders that brought us together and we're firm friends now. But it was back in 2013 that um, set up Mary's Meanders. Uh, the name obviously relates to Mary, Queen of Scots. We're based here in Linlithgow. And the idea, the initial idea was to do walking tours around the town of Linlithgow and um, around the palace. And then uh, met Anne. We, I put an ad, I think I can't remember if it was Facebook or something. And we've never left each other's sides ever since, really, all those years now. So, so it was, you, you know, this and an Outlander, Anne, is that right? No, Outlander. We didn't know anything about Outlander at that point. Um, it was um, a love of Linlithgow and me loving to tell people stories all about the town. I did that on a voluntary basis. Didn't neither of us came from a tourism background. It was a complete change of careers and just got more and more involved. And I thought this would be a nice way of going out a couple of days a week, meeting some people, showing them around the town, talking about Mary Queen of Scots and history that I loved and. Um, maybe just a couple of hours and it just mushroomed from there. But no, Outlander came about um, completely by accident. I'd never heard of it. Somebody said to us one day, they're filming this thing called Outlander, literally in the woods behind your house. And at that point, I lived just in the edge of B. Craig's Woods and I'd never heard of it. Emma had never heard of it. Went away and Googled it and I thought, oh, that's um historical novel. I love historical novels. So I got the book cross-stitch it was here at the time, read it, and that was me completely hooked. Got all the books, read them through, told Emma all about it. She got involved. From that point, we were doing tours, so they were literally filming all around us in Linlithgow, down at Midhope, at Hopeton, literally just all around. We were falling over the filming all the time. So we started doing that. We were There's always been tours up around Inverness because the books have been going for 20 years. Um, and people have done tours there around the history from the books, but the location tours was something completely new, um, and that's what we did, and that, that's how we got started with it, and it's just been fantastic. It's completely consumed our lives, as it were, since that point. So, Emma, it's fair to say that Outlander was was a massive turning point for, for Mary's Meanders. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely it was. It was really like a door, a portal is how we talk about it, you know, a door was opened and we fell into a whole different world. And uh, it's been just an amazing journey that we've had over the over the years. And um, lots and lots of fun times, some some tears, 
along the way, you know, when we meet the people who come over and they're so excited to be here and it's such a, you know, uh, it, it's been on top of their bucket list forever. But yeah, absolutely. It has been a, a changing point personally and professionally and thankfully all for the better. Well, hopefully we'll touch on some of those personal experiences uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, but Anne, as you touched on just a few moments ago, you know, this is a global phenomenon, this, this Outlander TV series, but yet it's perhaps not as as huge here. So could you, for, for perhaps those who are listening to this, who have maybe not caught up with Outlander and, and aren't aware of what it is, could you kind of give us a potted resume of what Outlander is and what has happened in the story? Okay, so very simply, Outlander is the story of a World War II nurse who travels back in time through some standing stones, and she's back in 18th century Scotland in the lead up to the Battle of Culloden. She meets and falls in love with um, a Highlander called Jamie, and they're involved in all sorts of adventures, and it encompasses um, love and drama and war and battles, everything you can need from a dramatic story. And where we are right now, I think as we record this, completed uh, season five, and uh, perhaps this is the moment I should say that my personal highlight for Outlander was at the very beginning of season four uh, in episode <laughs> one, the very end of episode one and the very beginning of episode two when a rather dashing <laughs> Captain Freeman made a very fleeting appearance uh, in the in the story. Emma, do you recall that that particular episode? I do, I do. Of course, I remember seeing you there and uh, you may pick up a little bit of an Irish accent here. So I have to say, Grant, I... I'm, I I, I know you, but I hadn't seen you in quite as many pantos as everybody else. So for me, yes, you're the you're the Outlander star, you know. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all I will say it was it was a wonderful experience, Bink, and you will miss me. But uh, yeah, what a treat to be part of this uh, amazing uh, TV series. So Anne, perhaps you can give us a an outline of the places, let's just concentrate across Edinburgh and the Lothians uh, for this episode, but where do you take uh, the people to come and visit? Okay, so in the city centre of Edinburgh itself, on the Royal Mile, they used um, a few locations there, the main one being Bakehouse Close, which is where um, Jamie's print shop was in season three, and that's a very, very important part of the book and a very important scene, and it was a a section that people looked forward to for a long, long time. There was a huge build-up build up of excitement before that episode was filmed, um, and that's Bakehouse Close. They also used Tweeddale Court just along the road a little bit from there, and they filmed some scenes at the Signet Library as well, and that was actually some scenes um, in Jamaica. So it wasn't all Scottish scenes that were filmed there. Also on the Royal Mile, actually, the World's End pub features um, in the books, and people all like to go there when they come. It's had a huge boost in trade from tourism because it features an outlander. The next major location from the city centre is Craig Miller Castle. And that's fabulous it's been an outlander because, you know, we call it Edinburgh's less known castle because, of course, everybody goes to Edinburgh Castle. It's not just been an outlander. It was in the Outlaw King too, So and, and it's fantastic. Um, in Midlothian, you have... Um, Glencore's Old Kirk. Glencore's Old Kirk is used as the wedding chapel in Outlander, and that's a fabulous place to go on tours. People love that, and they find it really quite emotional. And from there, you can go to, there's other locations like um, Newhale's House and Gosford House. So there, there's a lot of locations around, and um, further down in East Lothian, Preston Mill. So Preston Mill, people like to go there because 
The scene they had at Preston Mill with its big water wheel was a scene where Jamie stripped naked to repair the water wheel. <laughs> so that's a popular location, we have to say. So um, so that's where we go there. But from our point of view, we're based in Linlithgow, so an awful lot of our tours um, focus on some of the locations around our particular area in West Lothian. The locations here, we're in Linlithgow, Linlithgow Palace itself was a location for Wentworth Prison. Black Ness Castle, that's a fabulous location. That was um, Fort William, Black Jack Randall's um, headquarters. Um, and moving slightly, if you like, over the border, but it's only five minutes, ten minutes from here, you've got Calendar House and Park and Falkirk. And then um, the big, big, big location, well, we have Hopton House, which is a major location. This was used in three seasons for lots and lots of different scenes. But from the point of view of fans, the one, if you ask an Outlander fan, the one place they want to go to, and that is the, the setting for Lallybrock, the Fraser family home. And that's a place called Midhope Castle. We do go there a lot and it's very, very popular. One thing I was going to ask, just as you touched on the, the setting for Lallybrock in, in Outlander, you, you have a story about uh, one particular fan and it struck a very emotional, personal chord. Yes. Uh, so we do ancestry tours as well. That That's another um, part of our business that we absolutely love doing because you get really involved in people's family stories. And we also love the way that it connects to periods of history. So this particular lady was a Livingston and the Livingston family was very important in this area. They were the keepers of Linlithgow Palace. They owned Calendar House. So when she was coming, she, she'd done a fair bit of research and a bit of history. So we're coming here and she knew that we were obviously going to Linlithgow and Calendar House and things. But she was an Outlander fan. Um, so we were putting in a little bit of Outlander, but I didn't tell her till she got here. I wanted it to be a surprise for her because when we got here and we went to Midhope Castle, Midhope Castle was originally owned by the Livingston family. And I had tracked that it was the branch of the Livingston family that she belonged to. So I was able to tell an Outlander fan that her real-life ancestral home was Lallybrock. So that was just so amazing to be able to do that. What was her reaction to that? Um, tears. <laughs> Quite an yeah. emotional moment. It was very emotional moment. It was a very emotional moment, yes. Emma, tell me what it's like when the fans are taken to these places uh, to, to see the locations where their favourite TV programme was filmed. I, I can imagine, just to echo what Anne was saying there, it can be quite emotional. Oh, absolutely it is. You know, for some of these people, they've been saving for years to uh, to get to Scotland. So uh, for them, just even breathing Scottish air, you know, is like they're they're delighted with that. But that moment when we, we bring them to Midhope Castle, for example, a lot of the time I'll say to people, close your eyes. You know, you have to drive down all these different kind of country roads to get there. And we just head down that little dip towards it. I say, OK, folks, close your eyes. Um, and then I'll say, OK, you can open them now. And they just see in front of them up the pathway, uh, Midhope Castle, a.k.a. Lallybrock. It's framed perfectly by the trees. And it does. It takes their breath away. They gasp. You know, it, it, it's so moving. You have people who their fitness, their health, you know, has prevented them from traveling. They may have been carers for people. And this was, you know, this was their motivation for life. Like, absolutely. Like they would have had a picture of it up on their bathroom, you know, mirror to say one day I'll get there. 
So it's it's extremely moving and it's it's a real privilege for us when we get to experience that with people. And of course, there's so many places that have their own rich history. Outlander aside, let, let's talk a little bit more about Linlithgow Palace because this was the, the catalyst that brought you two together. It's what Mary's Meanders was originally all about. This has such a wonderful rich history in itself. Give us give us an, an overview of, of what has happened there over the years. Linlithgow Palace, um, there's been a settlement there since way back the 11th, 12th century. It was a hunting lodge for the kings. and But the palace that you see today was built substantially by James I back in the 14th century. And then it was added to by subsequent kings over the years. One of the major parts that was built there was by James IV. Now, James IV, he married Margaret Tudor, Henry VIII's sister. So quite a lot of what he did was almost to show anything Henry VIII can do, I can do better. So he did a lot of that. And then his son, James V, he added bits as well. He did a lot of building around Scotland and Stirling Castle and all sorts of places. He was quite a prolific builder. So there was a lot to it. And it was known as a pleasure palace. It was a huge building and it was all a bit entertaining and the court hanging out. It wasn't ever a fortress or anything like that. Um, and there's a beautiful fountain in the middle. It's been restored over the years. That was the James V fountain. And the lovely entrance where you go in now, that was built for James V as well. But Linlithgow Palace is most famous for being the birthplace of Mary, Queen of Scots. And that's what brings most people to Linlithgow. Up until quite recently, there's a lot of people come for um, Outlander now as well. But Mary, Queen of Scots was born here. But so was her father. James V was, was born here as well. And there's lots of stories about Linlithgow Palace, and it played key part in history. So Linlithgow Palace was quite a favourite of the Stuart kings and queens. It's exactly halfway between Holyrood Palace and Stirling Castle, so it was a stop-off on the way. And a story that I like to tell people to show its importance in history is not a story of Mary, Queen of Scots, because the story of Mary, Queen of Scots has been told over and over and over again, and although it's something I love, I quite like to tell a different story there, and that's the story about Queen Margaret, Margaret Tudor, who married James IV, because that marriage, which was known as the marriage of the Thistle and the Rose, the Thistle of Scotland and the Tudor Rose, that marriage led ultimately to the crowns of Scotland and England coming together. And today you can actually see you can see if you walk up to Linlithgow Palace, there's plaques on the wall that show you the line of succession and how that all came about. The line of succession shows you from Mary, Queen of Scots, all the way up to the current Queen. But I'm taking a step back a generation to show you how that happened. So Queen Margaret, um, Henry VIII's sister, so a huge pawn in European um, marriage stakes back in the time when the marriages were all for political gains. So she was married when she was 14. She was married to James IV of Scotland. So they were married for 10 years. She was quite a feisty young lady by all accounts. But then James, um, he built all these beautiful rooms and he built Queen Margaret's Bower that you can still go up today. And up at the top of the Bower, there's a wee room that Queen Margaret supposedly used to sit in watching for her husband coming back from battle. But then in 1513, he didn't come back from the Battle of Flodden. He was killed at the Battle of Flodden. So she mourned for about 10 minutes. And then she went off. And she found another young, attractive man, Archibald Douglas, that she basically quite fancied, was considered completely unsuitable. In fact, one of his uncles described him as um, 
I've forgotten that now. He called him a young, witless fool, which he turned out to be. And that's maybe a trait that runs in the family, as I come on to in a minute. Anyway, within less than a year, she was married to Archibald Douglas. So the significance of this. With her first marriage to James IV, she had a son, James V, and he had a daughter, Mary Queen of Scots. With her second marriage to Archibald Douglas, she had a daughter, Margaret Douglas, and Margaret had a son, Henry Lord Danley, maybe another young witless fool. But Henry Lord Darnley and Mary Queen of Scots had the same grandmother, Margaret Douglas, and they married. That was Mary Queen of Scots' second husband, so they were cousins and they married. And that marriage turned out to be just as bad as the one of her grandmother and her, and her second husband. So that's the story I quite like because it's a different story from the usual stories you have there. So Do you know, I just um this year I started rearing about Mary, Queen of Scots' mother, married to Guise, and just the the trials of her life. So now I kind of when I walk around um Lanithgo Palace, I'm thinking about her and how, you know, she she was married over in France and she came back over um and had to leave her son there. And um just just the journey that she went through. She lost two children um, and her husband. And I just think she was a remarkable woman. So now when I'm walking through Lanithgo Palace, and that was something I was really looking forward to doing this summer, was kind of getting more in touch with her, if you like, and finding out more about her life. So it is, it's, it's such a remarkable place. You know, I mean, you can talk about the history of it, but then also I love when the Nithco Palace comes alive in the summertime with the event, the Scotch Hop, which is an open air Cayley that takes place every year um, during July and August on Wednesday nights. And people from all over the world come and dance around that amazing fountain. So you get to see, um, see it nearly like the course was there as well. So it's fantastic. So let's move away from uh, Linlithgow Palace and into Edinburgh. And you mentioned earlier on Bakehouse Close. So the print shop, very important in the story of Outlander. But there's also another location there which has a real history, which reflects what happens in the story. Yes. So um, Bakehouse Close. So when Jamie is um, living and running the print shop under the the, um, the name of A. Malcolm, which is kind of middle names, where they filmed that at the time, he's actually living in a brothel. Madame Jeanne's brothel. Um, and the, the brothels feature quite a lot in every series of Outlander. Um, so he's living there. And when they, where they film it is where um, Edinburgh World Heritage is based now, Aitchison House, was in the 1700s an actual brothel. And when you go there, it's a little gate that goes off of Bakehouse Close. And when you go in that gate, on the wall, they have a wonderful poster that's an excerpt from... Um, a publication that was out in 1775 called, wonderfully, Rangers' Impartial List of Ladies of Leisure. And basically, it was a directory of prostitutes of the day in Edinburgh. And one of them in particular, she was known as either Mrs or Lady Agnew. And she's described as a drunken, a drunken bundle of iniquity. So they, a lot of them in the in the description, they're not they're not young, lithe, pretty girls by any manner of means. So I think it's absolutely wonderful that the location that they use for that for Outlander it was in real life an actual brothel there in Edinburgh. So what is there to see then if you you walk up Bakehouse Close now? What what do you see now that resembles what we saw in Outlander? Oh well, Bakehouse Close is exactly what you see. You go through the close, the entranceway itself. 
and what they use for the print shop, the steps that are going up there, they're absolutely exactly the same. Well, they've been made to look older and they have some wooden structures on, but you you would absolutely recognise it. There's no doubt about it. And you see the entrance going into where the brothel is and you see them coming back out again. And to be honest, they use that little bit of street more than once because um, you see Jamie walking along and he's actually walking along the same bit of street more than once. And then out on the Royal Mile, they use a lot of CGI there, but you can see clearly they're using the structures that are there. You can see John Knox's house um, shaped into it. So they're using um, the actual structures, but making it, you know, look like it was in old Edinburgh. And this is one of the charms of Outlander, Emma, I would imagine as well, the fact that they do use actual locations. Obviously, they use technology to enhance it and to, to, to take away the sort of modern aspects of it as well. But the fact that this these historical sites are still there for, for these visitors and fans to, to come and see must, must again evoke quite a reaction. Oh, absolutely. For example, Hopeton House. You know, in the um, in the episodes where uh, with, they're filming with the Duke of Sandringham, and you're in the red drawing room, so the 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 room looks the exact same as it was in the set. They only took out, I think, the lamps and put in some flowers instead. So when we're standing there, we're able to, you know, point out the places, and we have images. We show them this is where uh, Katrina Belf, where Claire was. But then you're able to also talk about the history. Of the of the Hope family who are there in their own portraits up on the wall. So yeah, absolutely, we love going from one to the other. And Anne, is there any other moment that sort of stands out where it's been a particularly memorable moment for you? Oh, there's several of them. But again, I always, you know, I love when both come together, when real life comes together with the history, with the real his, with Outlander. Um, Another particular one was going to Blackness Castle on an Outlander tour. And before we got there, the lady told us she'd done some ancestry and she believed she'd read that her ancestor had been kept in Blackness Castle. So I looked that up and sure enough, her ancestor, who was actually um, John Knox's son-in-law, John Welsh, so it was a very important piece of history, had been held in Blackness Castle. And we went there at the time, and at that point, um, the castle was getting some work done to it, so you couldn't go into every section of it. But the monument manager at the time, Graham, he took her camera and went into the sections you couldn't go into and took some photographs for her. So that that was really special. As I say, I love when, you know, real-life history comes together with what's happening with Outlander. And, and there's various, various little stories like that, and and the way people people react to things. And people simply, I mean, we have people, and it's been the case, and a few have done videos for us, people have never left their state in America, let alone their country. They've never had a passport. And these are people's, people in their 60s, you know, and they go and they get a passport. They leave their state. They often travel. They're often single women traveling on their own, and they come on this adventure to Scotland and they just soak the whole thing up. It's, it's just amazing. And people that have never been here before come here and just get so engrossed and immersed in Scottish history. They, they just feel a connection. And some people have a connection. They go away and check and find their Scottish ancestry. Others don't, but they still feel some connection. We have one family that have come back year after year after year, and they just want to visit loads and loads of Scottish castles. They check them out, what the late, the mum researches them all during the winter, 
And I've been to castles I've never heard of before because she finds these really obscure castles and off we go to find these castles. So they, a lot of these people come and lead us on an adventure as well. It's not just us leading them on an adventure. So it's just fabulous. Just And it is the way people just feel so at one with this country. It's unbelievable. Emma, you're nodding your head. I can see that as well. Is there any standout moments for you that you, you can relate to? Do you know, I mean, there there is. There's so many, but I was nodding my head because I was thinking about at the moment, you know, in the situation that we're in. And many of the people that have been here in Scotland, you know, with us over the years, even though we're not able to be together, you know, in person at the moment, they're indulging and and just um, spending so much time on all the different events that are being put out there virtually for people to enjoy Scotland as well. And myself and Anne, we were just talking about that, I think, even yesterday, just how it is really helping people at this time. And their love of Scotland is keeping them going. And I get the feeling that many of these fans who come on the tours uh, with you, you become friends and, and you keep in touch with them. Absolutely. Our company kind of motto, ethos, whatever philosophy is, arrive a visitor, leave a friend. They absolutely, they become our friends, but they, even beyond that, they become our family's friends. You know, like I, my children, Anne's daughter, they know the people who've come on our tours, you know, because they, some of these people come back each year. You know, people send us gifts, you know, we get Christmas cards, we get Thanksgiving cards, you know, we send them things, you know, absolutely. Friendships have been uh, formed, not just, you know, from us with uh, the people who come on uh, with the tour, but the people who would maybe even just spend one day together. Last night, I was talking to three ladies, uh, two in America and one lady down in England. They only spent one day together uh, a year ago, and they're still chatting daily now because of that. And we're going to have a reunion Zoom call next week. I mean, it is, it's absolutely phenomenal how one book can create friendships ar- around the world. It's, it's a, you know, without sounding too soppy about it, it is, it's a beautiful thing. Well, Emma just touched on the fact that we're obviously in, in lockdown. And so, so how have you continued? Because I believe that you've embraced technology and uh, you're, you're continuing your tours. We are, we are doing virtual tours and, and we have embraced technology. We've had some hiccups along the way, including the very first tour that I did um, when my internet provider crashed. So the tour crashed straight away. But luckily, Emma's on another provider, so she was able to step in and save the day. So we, we've had um, issues with it, but it's been great. We have brought people together. There's people who've been on tour with us and they're coming back just for memories and things. But we, through this, we've reached out to a whole new range of people that we didn't know before who are either coming because they want to come here sometime in the future, or maybe not. They're just Outlander fans and they're just looking to get a bit more involved. So we have people from literally from all over the world, from New Zealand to Argentina to, you know, a lot from America to the Philippines and um, just everywhere. And, and England and Scotland, we've had some local people come as well, which is interesting in itself because, as I said right away at the very beginning, Outlander was not that well known in Scotland and it's still not as huge in Scotland or the UK generally as it is in other countries. So, but it's great. It's just, as I say, we have embraced the technology. We're running virtual tours. We've had what we've called brunches, just get togethers. And and we're looking to do other things because we enjoy it as much as everybody else because it's a way of us getting out and meeting with people. And we certainly hope that people closer to home 
uh, may take advantage of what you have to offer as well just now. People may be looking to explore what's what's closer to home, Emma. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there really are gems, you know, in your local area. And uh, that's something that we have started exploring as well. We're going to be um, doing our Lilithgow walking tour again. We'll be spending more time on that. And absolutely, we would recommend to people just to, just to look around their own local area. And Actually, Anne has a, a lovely story about um, some Well, we were focusing on some ancestry work and uh, exploring graveyards. But Anne, why, what about that story about Abercorn? Again, it's another story I love when our two worlds collide. So um, I look at facts of the day and things that have happened regularly. So this is about Abercorn Churchyard, which is a beautiful historic churchyard. It is the churchyard for, for Midhope, that area, Abercorn, a tiny wee village. But this particular story, this fact of the day, a lady, a school teacher called Christina Kay died in 1951. And I was a bit confused because beside the, the, this notice, there was a picture of Abercorn Churchyard. And I thought, oh, I wonder why that's there. So I dug into it a little bit. And sure enough, this Christina Kay's buried in Abercorn Churchyard. But why did she merit a mention in the newspaper? Well, Back in the 1930s, Christina Kay was a teacher in a girls' school in Edinburgh, and one of her pupils was a certain Muriel, who became Muriel Stark, who became, who wrote, of course, The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie. So The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie about the Edinburgh school teacher is one of my absolute favourite books and films ever. And of course, Maggie Smith won an Oscar for her portrayal of Jean Brodie. So I couldn't believe it. This was the, the woman, the teacher who she used as um, her time as the, the model for this story. And the significance of it was it said she was um, she died at Midhope. And on the other side of the gravestone, it actually said her parents had lived in Midhope Castle. So she died in the house just next to Midhope Castle, but her parents had lived in Midhope Castle, Lallybrook. And we know that people were living in there up to the 1950s. So I just think that was a lovely, lovely story in bringing the two things together there. So, well, it certainly did accord, especially anyone who's grown up in Edinburgh, that's for sure. Um, so just as we're getting to the close of, of this particular podcast, I want to ask you both, it is our tour guide tales. So what does being a tour guide mean to you? Well, I just think this is what I've been waiting all my life to do. And I've only discovered it six years ago. I've been through various careers and all sorts of things all my life. But um, this is just amazing. I've always loved history. I love talking to people about it. I love showing people around the places. I've always been very involved in lots of local things in Linlithgow. And just an opportunity that that's what I get to do all day, every day. Just go out with people, just chat with them, show them around the country, tell them about the history, just chat to them generally about local things and ancestry. I absolutely adore ancestry. I love the whole detective nature of finding a story and I love the way it's connected. Um, People's real life stories and their families are connected because of and part of events in history. And I just absolutely adore just being immersed in that whole world the whole time oh that made me emotional Anne you made but you know me but it is like it is we've been on some unbelievable journeys together you know and just yeah that made me emotional when you said waiting all your life yeah it sums it up but I love just um spending time with these women and men actually who come on the tour who have gone through trials and tribulations to get there and to to be a part of that special journey and then to continue that friendship 
is is just tremendous. And as I you know mentioned as well about our children, you know my children are connected to some of these people now, and uh, I love that. It just for me it shows how small the world is. And uh, I always quote there's a a kind of hashtag that people use referring to Diana Gabaldon, uh, the author of Outlander, who we should mention. And it's all because she wrote a book. And I just think that sums it all up, how my life has changed, all because Diana wrote this book. Well, in the short period of time I've, I've spent with both of you, I can seize how uh, you are about what you're doing. So uh, continued success. And uh, thanks very much for, for spending time with me today. Thank you. Thanks, thanks so much. Thank you. It's lovely. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the first in a series of episodes, chatting and listening to some of Scotland's amazing tour guides. So be sure to listen next week when I'll be hearing some more incredible tales from another tour guide. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening. I'm Grant Stop, and this has been Tour Guide Tales, brought to you by Visit Scotland. Visit Scotland.